This week, Sinan Aaron, VP of Zero Trust at Barracuda, will discuss authentication and MFA fatigue. In the security news, while I wait for my teleprompter to get updated, because maybe it had a vulnerability, Bloodhound's blind spots, interactable draft, don't use open source. It has too many vulnerabilities. MFA fatigue, tamper protection, use after freedom, how not to do software updates, hacking gamers, stealing Teslas, safer Linux, Trojan putty. There's money in your account. Game leak makes history. GPS jammers, Uber blames lapsus, spying on your monitor from a Zoom call, next generation IPS with AI and ML for zero day exploit detection. 3D printed meat and what to do when the highway is covered with what's usually kept in the nightstand. All that and more on this episode of Paul Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly for security professionals by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. FlexTrack is the premier pen test reporting and collaboration platform, empowering your team to spend more time hacking and less time reporting. FlexTrack centralizes your data, streamlines tedious workflows, automates report building, and facilitates communication with stakeholders. To learn how you can achieve a 30% increase in efficiency and cut report cycles by up to 65%, head to securityweekly.com forward slash FlexTrack. Claim your free month of FlexTrack and get your copy of the Writing a Killer Penetration Test Report Guide today. Every hack follows the same pattern. First, hackers exploit a human error, like a leaked key or a secret left in code. They gain a foothold and then pivot, moving from one compromised system to the next. Teleport breaks this cycle. Open source Teleport gives every engineer, every piece of hardware, every application an identity, replacing secrets like passwords and keys with auto-expiring identity-based certificates. Learn why most visionary businesses in the world choose Teleport at securityweekly.com forward slash Teleport. And welcome to the show. But first, let me introduce you to a man whose son asked him to go to a 50 Cent concert. So he handed him a dollar and said, take your brother, Mr. Paul Asadorian. Welcome, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. It's episode number 756, recorded on September 21st, 2022, right here in G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island. To my left, Mr. Larry Pache. Ah, it's, it feels like it's been a while. It has. We yeah, had, you've been we had a week yeah. of week vacation, and then I yeah. was traveling. Good to have you I, back. I, did, I did a what now? Speaking <laughs> of uh, not being here in a while, to my, to my far left, Mr. Jeff Mann is here in studio. Jeff, welcome. It's 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 great to be back. Yes. You know, and 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 be the guest bartender for probably the first time in about two years. And be my morning cigar smoking partner. Yes, yep. we started and, early in afternoon, in afternoon, and, and evening. Now evening, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I gotta, I gotta say, you know, it's it's great to have Jeff back in studio and on one of our shows because you know making fun of Jeff for being old when he's not here isn't nearly as it much nearly fun. As fun. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. And, and he's an amazing human being. So I really, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. and in and in the interim, I actually turned sixty. Like, like I said, uh-huh. <laughs> so bring it on! Birthday, bring it on! Yeah, we I can mi- we can I only make so it. much fun of Lee for being old. Like, That's right. We need to spread the love. <laughs> spread the love. No, 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 no. There's never an end to making fun of Lee for being old. Okay, oh, that's also true. true. Mr. Josh Morpet is here with us. Josh, welcome. Pleasure. Thank you, sir. Absolute pleasure to be here with Jeff and everybody today. Looking sharp as always, uh, Mr. Tyler Robinson is here with us. Tyler, welcome. Thanks, Paul. 
Good to see you guys. Yes, good, good to, to have see, you. Uh, everyone in studio. It's nice to see you guys back. Don't be gone so long next time, yeah? I know, right? Uh, Security Weekly listeners can save 20% on InfoSec World 2022 passes. InfoSec World will be held on September 27th through the 29th at Disney's Coronado Springs Resort in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash ISW and use the code ISW22-SECWEEK20 to secure your spot now. Not later, like now. But watch this segment first. Uh, this segment is sponsored by Barracuda. You can learn more by going to securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. Sanan is a veteran in the cybersecurity space and serves as the VP of Zero Trust at Barracuda. Sanan is passionate about helping companies with an increasingly distributed workforce mitigate breach risk by enabling secure access to critical enterprise resources for their outsourcers, partners, contractors, and telework employees. Sanam will join us tonight. It's actually, he's here. Uh, to talk about authentication and multi-factor authentication fatigue. Sanam, welcome back to Paul Security Weekly. Glad to be back. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm doing great, man. How's it going? Good, good. All is well. That's good. That's good. I think the the topic is very timely <laughs> yes. um, because you yes. like you hit on it. Well, you started this whole thing, Sinan, talking about the good old days of like running around to users' machines and installing certificates. So I think that's probably a good place uh, to start. Is uh, yeah. back in history, right? No, so, that's right. That's right. Uh, my first job working at a telco was installing client certificates to Outlook. Um, to exchange, you know, to for them to for to have like a mutual authenticated communication with an exchange endpoint, right? Exchange servers, and this was 25 years ago. Guess what? 25 years later, we're kind of doing the same thing. This time, of course, we have TPM and the CP models. We have the FIDO2 keys uh, in order to have these private keys kind of secure, stored in an enclave. But at the core, it's all about identifying a device, right? 25 years later, we're still trying to solve the same problem. Back then, people were like brute forcing passwords. They were guessing passwords to compromise an exchange back inbox. Now, of course, it's much more sophisticated. There's all these men in the middle phishing. Uh, there's the MFA fatigue factor, where you basically carpet bomb somebody with continuous MFA requests till they relent, right? We become a lot more complacent since we deal with the authenticator app hundred times a day you just want it to go right. away right you so know, what's interesting, 25 well, years back, later still the same place yeah like back so mm -hmm. 20 it wasn't quite 25 for me i was at university but larry you'll mm -hmm. appreciate this for eep tls i was putting certificates on client machines manually as Sinan was described oh. <laughs> yes. 25 oh. years ago we were guessing passwords on unix systems right and we were using loft crack on Windows. Just <laughs> yeah. And Exchange was like something that nobody used. But <laughs> that was my 25 years ago. Because it was all send mail, right? That's right. It was. Yeah. But same, I mean, same, it all comes back. Everything you know, else I agree with. Comes back around again, though. <laughs> yeah. You know? It does. Yeah. I mean, at the enterprise, you get a lot of Exchange, right? Because people like to use their uh, Outlook clients with Windows XP experiences. So you had to tie it to Exchange. Microsoft didn't give you any better hooks. But you're right. I mean, depending on the, if you're in a university, if you're in a public sector, you know, federal, local, state, you will have send mail, right? That that was the that was the main MTA back then. But you know, I did my share of exchange uh, security. It was a nightmare back then, right? And the only way to to deal with this was to make sure that there is a additional layer behind username and password, and that was the client certificate. It, it was stored on a the disk. There wasn't any TPM backing back then, but it still give you a kind of a foolproof method uh, to preventing you know all these men in the middle or password guessing or brute forcing attacks. Now, I mean the the TPM isn't like 
without its flaws, although they're not a whole lot of flaws. It is much better, like you said, than storing it on the disk, but mm-hmm. yeah, having the TPM is, is a significant advantage. Although, like, I feel like I've read some papers about bypassing it over the years. Tyler, did you, did you come across some of that research, too? A little bit. A lot of it is based around hardware attacks and some academia stuff, but mm. yeah, it's uh, it's non-trivial as of right now, at least in well-deployed situations. Yeah. Well, I think physical access uh, yes. certainly is one is one mechanism. So that gives us a much um, a much better place, right, to store these. So how how does it work today, Sinan, and for what for what purpose to protect what level of of access? I mean, it got a lot more streamlined. You have asset managers like MDM, RMM, you know, typical examples being Jamf and Tune. Uh, you can also access Keychain through a software mechanism through interprocess communication. You know, your mm-hmm. application can basically back a certificate securely into the Keychain. And if the Keychain is backed by an ACP model on a MacBook and a TPM on a Windows PC, so it got streamlined, right? So the innovation, I would say, 25 years later, you don't have to put it on a disk or a USB drive and walk up to everybody's PC, you know, desktop or laptop and install it manually, you can actually manage the entire life cycle of these device certificates and securely using a well-defined API, store it into the keychain, into, into the TPM, you know, hardware back keychain, where it makes it a lot more easy to manage. Like you onboard the user, you know, somebody joins the, uh, you know, company, you bootstrap the whole process, create a device identifier, the device certificate, uh, tied to the user's identity, stored on the TPM. Next time they try to access SaaS application, an on-prem application, that is a required factor, you know, besides the username, password, and MFA, mm-hmm. right? That really uh, brings it down to a much more secure posture, which is what the Fido2 keys, you know, YubiKeys, everybody below the YubiKey does, but I honestly don't see the necessity going forward to have an extra key fob that you have to plug in if the TPM becomes, you know, what it is. If it's on the machine, though, is that validating more of the machine identity more than the user identity, which is why we have to couple it with the other <coughs> parts to identify the user is using this machine? You're, you're right, but there are ways using the, the keychain mechanism where you can tie that particular private key to the user. Mm-hmm. So if you log in as a different user, you will need to, you know, kind of bootstrap again and onboard the device once again and create a new device uh, certificate. You mm-hmm. see what I mean? For yeah. a multi-user use of a device, you have to kind of tie the key through the keychain mechanism to the user. Yeah, there was there was an article uh, that we're going to cover in the next segment too that was talking like like these minute details between the difference between an account, a user, and a computer, right? Or three yeah, yeah. are essentially three different things. I mean, someone is kind of we do interchange some well, of those those terms. Those nuances are very important when you start to talk about things like uh, Azure AD and Active Directory and what mechanism is being translated between those. Because if you have something like uh, AD Connect or your Active Directory sync to Azure AD, that Kerberos translation to a SAML and like what is actually doing the translation, what key is getting up there, what tokens and JWTs are activated, all those nuances actually matter and the way in which you set up your certificate services is the second part to this that no one's speaking about the the tpm is a great place for certificates to live but that also requires that customers get that that certificate uh, process and design done right from the beginning so that is something to take into consideration as you're deploying these this is what we need to get to we just need to do this in the right way and i think that's where everyone's kind of getting hung up is how to do this securely 
spot on. I think the the vendors, the ISVs, so that, that's pretty much the, what they can help with. Give the customers a, a mechanism to enable them to distribute these keys, but also manage the entire life cycle, right? You, be, you should be able to revoke them, you know, onboard a user, there's attrition, the user leaves the company, you know, like revoke the certificate. All those should, should be single clicks, right? Or they should be kind of integrated in Azure AD uh, that everything can automatically work. So I think that's where the value can be uh, pronounced uh, if if you can manage the entire life cycle of that of that certificate so but is this, there is, sorry go ahead Todd. i was gonna say is there uh one of the other mechanisms that i i feel like i would love to have everything on the tpm and we've we should we should have been using the tpm for the last decade honestly in in a much better way uh one of the things that i i get consistent pushback on is some of the secondary factors for things like the yubikey where you're able to do uh a touch press or a pin or a secondary non-attribution destructive key like are there some of those things being planned and, and able to be utilized with the tpm that you've seen i'm i'm talking to a macbook right now right and i do uh use my uh touch to basically get access to the acp through the keychain so depending on the platform it's usually baked in there's some sort of a biometric factor to unlock the you know the the the, the tpm so I don't know what what the YubiKeys and the likes are adding to that equation if the device is baked in with some sort of a fingerprint reader or a face ID or whatever. And most business laptops now have that ability to have yeah. a biometric and a TPM 2.0. Honestly, I, I would question the purchasing and acquisition of anything with not a TPM and a biometric for things like Windows Hello and the passwordless system and ecosystem that even Windows has brought in. I mean, Mac has the same thing with their touch bar and touch yeah. stuff. So. From a business standpoint, the hardware is not the limitation. It is simply the implementation, the operating system software, uh, even the online vendors with Apple and Google's FIDO2 Alliance uh, acceptance and what they've moved to. I mean, they've dubbed their, their own names for them now, mm -hmm. but that's all integrated now. So there's really nothing keeping us other than the integrators. Even my, totally agree. Even my non-enterprise framework laptop has a, a fingerprint reader uh, built yep. into it. Yeah. Yeah. And a TPM. And I think, yeah, and I think security vendors should look into forget about security and enablement. A lot of these security features and functionality and hardware components baked into the platforms, right? You just basically help people enable with ease of use, you know, the UI, UX improvements, that kind of stuff. Forget about, you know, you just mentioned something like AIML, IDS, next gen, detecting mm -hmm. zero days. I'm like, forget about all that. Just help people enable existing assets, right? I think that's what we should be in the business of. But well, now, that would eliminate a lot of our shelfware too, right? Like these applications and some of the vulnerabilities that we see with uh, single sign-on and the security implications of password spraying and all these API endpoints or, or SAML or SaaS applications exposed to the internet. A lot of that is solved by doing the simple thing that you just said. Let's implement yeah. something that has some, some better authentication mechanisms and has a user at the other end of that that's doing secure authentication. Like that's a pretty simple mitigation that covers a good portion of the, the threat. Attack surface, yeah, yeah, 100%, uh, agreed. Oh, so now what about all this rolling back and fallback mechanisms? Because a lot of times we say, oh, I have MFA and I've configured MFA securely, but when you unravel it, you can go all the way back to like a text message or an email sometimes. And that this is, I don't know if it's defeating the purpose of MFA, but not all MFA is built the same. So how does, how does, I mean, why should or shouldn't we do that, right? I'll ask the, the, yeah. the quick, kind of tee you up for that. But. 
Uh, that that's a very good point. You find immediately the the flaw in this whole, uh, you know, um, whether Fidotikis or baking like a device certificate into the TPM. Uh, if you have a mechanism to downgrade, and I, and I want to ring Paul uh, Bob Ward's uh, ears about this. There was like a ongoing Twitter discussion about this, and and he come and said, you know, if you have a mechanism to downgrade MFAs, let's say, well, you know, you're in a man in the middle phishing proxy, right? The, uh, the evil Nginx project, and there's variations of that. Mm -hmm. uh, if that project spits out a message saying that, look, it's a JavaScript pop-up, an alert, right? Uh, we cannot read your key. Like your YubiKey is, uh, you know, whatever is is not functioning, and then downgrades by basically proxying API requests, let's say to G Suite or to Office 365 or whatever, and then asks for a different factor, right? If your policy enables for the Fido2 key to be downgraded to SMS or TOTP, you know, something like that, then it's completely pointless. The man in the middle proxy that does the phishing will automatically downgrade it and will say, well, the key's unreadable, it's not working, malfunctioning, whatever, provide me this other factor. So you have to remove all those uh, to to actually make it work. You're, you found a good flaw there. It's, that makes a ton of sense, yeah. So, but the, the better fallback mechanisms are the series of codes. I mean, kind of unfortunately, right? Because it- Backup codes, yeah. You still have to protect Print them the out. You have to protect the backup codes. Somehow. Yeah, put yeah, put put down with your socks in, in a drawer somewhere. Yeah, right. a couple of them. <laughs> print them out and put yeah, them in your sock drawer. <laughs> yeah. Safe deposit yeah. box. A very very sure. you know, the TPM you've got for surgically inserted, you know, right next to your heart, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so is the is the password still a, a factor in in a lot of this? Like, do I still I have to have the certificate and put in my password, right? You can down. You can remove the password if you also have a means to perhaps do some assessment on the device. Right, the device certificate, the client certificate, quote unquote, identifies that it's a corporate asset, but it doesn't mean that it has a good posture, that a good standing. Right, mm -hmm. you need to bring some contextual telemetry and information where the device is at, what kind of a network it's connected, what's the patch level, is there some sort of a, you know hot fix that needed to be deployed. Uh, and that all of these things kind of checking out, evaluating the truth, and then you're like, okay, I don't need to ask you for a password. You know, you have the device certificate, mm. the device poster checks out, go ahead and just get access. Yeah, I mean, Google does, uh, Google does some of this pretty well, you know, uh, even your Google accounts. If, if you move around or change laptops, a lot of that, your behavior, it'll go, yeah, I need, I need, your, I need your password. Which I think is good. Yeah, so does... Can you can you get a little bit more granular than that? I'm I'm not as familiar with what your guys' product does, but from that standpoint, can you do things like uh, validate what hash or process is, is initiating the connection or the time in which it's doing? Some of the more granular, nuanced things of of how uh, authentication bypasses happen. I know there's a little bit of granularity in some of those zero trust, but you guys are leveraging a much different approach using certs and the TPM, which is fantastic because it takes some of the user issues out of this and the agent side of this out. So uh, I'm curious what level of granularity you can actually get down to. Depends on the, I would say, the deployment mechanism, right? A lot of uh, applications, depending on the endpoint platform, might deploy it as a user mode application, right? They might running as a user context. Like if you're in a mobile device, you know, a tablet or something like that, it only has very limited because it runs in a sandbox. You can't really have very granular uh, you know, telemetry, you can only have whatever you can grab from within the sandbox. If you look at, you know, a lot of these implementations, uh, they look at disk encryption, firewall, AV, basic things, right? They don't have a lot of fidelity. But what's happening in the industry is that instead of asking the device, because let's be honest, if you are in the 
application, the user context, you can fake all that stuff. You can say all the telemetry looks great, everything is patched, everything is turned on, because if you compromise the application, you can fake all that stuff, right? But if you do the telemetry checks through integrations to other assets like MDM, you know, RMM, uh, EDR, SIM, right? If you pull it from other backend systems, uh, then the fidelity is a lot better, and then you can make a better judgment whether that device posture is good or not. Does that make sense, Tyler? I'm just wondering, like, yeah, yeah, wh why more people don't do this, right? Like, because <laughs> I think the the pitch to the end users is you don't have to mess with passwords. Like, we're not going to ask you for your password mm -hmm. hardly ever, right? If ever. We're not going to ask you to change your password. You're not going to be worried about password complexity. Like, all those things that users hate about the password. Like, a new user comes on. We're going to provision <clears> your <throat> laptop. It's going to have a certificate in it. It's going to analyze the, the environment and behavior of your laptop. And, I mean, maybe they have another second factor that's the hello camera, you know, the camera on there. It's just right. a facial recognition. So they don't even have to push anything. It takes a picture of your face, uses the, the TPM with a certificate on it, and, and you're logged in. Like, what's better than that? I mean, this is like security and usability. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. No offense, Matt. You're missing the point. The point is not that it's cool and shiny and gadgety and cool, because it is. And the users love when they go, hi. Right. My voice is my password, and they're they're in. That's cool, but the people that sign the checks to to buy these things, to install these things, to implement these things, to iron out all the problems with these things, to train the end users and how to use these things, train the support staff and how to support these things, to 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 write the documents and process and procedures for how to support them. There's a lot more to it than just it's shiny. I okay, thought it was like it was we, just it's just wizardry. I thought in the background, <laughs> it's automatic. <laughs> We've gotten to that point where we're at the precipice of that adoption, right? Like, first, it's education. We have to get it out there. FIDO, too, FIDO's been a thing forever. Mm -hmm. So this is not a hardware. And how many people are using FIDO systems? Exactly. Why is that, though? And that is that is simply because we have not done a great job of educating the ease of use and implementation of this through our chains and implementers, right? Like, And we haven't made the user interface features. great. I'm sorry, Tyler. Yeah. Keep going. I apologize. Well, no, I mean, you're, you're spot on. That whole adoption <clears throat> process relies on us as the technologists to get that message out there in a better manner that's not a bunch of technoblab that shows the ease of use. We've not articulated that business return on investment for not getting breached, not having users forget password, the strain on help desk, all of the features that we should be articulating to the business units that are making and writing the checks has not been done. We've just simply said, hey, this is fancy new technology. Use it. That's not going and, to get us up. Dude, that is so well said. And and so we mm -hmm. haven't educated the people, the users, and then we haven't educated the executives on the savings and the time savings and the cost savings and the PL budget savings that are there. We haven't productivity. made those pro productivity improvements. Uh, look at what Google did. Remember when they handed out, what is it, 250,000 physical access tokens and, and got zero phishing attempts or zero successful phishing attempts? during two and a half years or something like that. I forget, forgive me if I screwed up the numbers. But the point is, is that there are massive productivity gains to be done by doing this. There's massive amounts of, 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 of like goodness that comes out of it. But the problem is the people that sign the checks are busy with, oh my God, ransomware. Okay, I bet right Uber now, would right like here. To sign a check right now. I bet Uber would sign a check <laughs> for this right now. Yeah, very possibly. But touché, that's, touché. But that's but the I... thing, the compelling event, I'm sorry, I know I'm monopolizing, bear with me for one second. The compelling event 
for somebody to upgrade the security with the annoyance and trouble, because no offense, it's annoyance and trouble. I mentioned some of it. There's the buying, the implementing, the, the support, the, the education, all the different pieces of this. For somebody to go, okay, let's do all this stuff, there has to be a compelling event that effectively the only thing that happens is, a, you know, that will be that compelling event is a breach. So it's a problem. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Um, yeah. If I may interject a few thoughts. Because I, <coughs> I haven't been here in like nine months. So he's got a lot of yeah, thoughts to interject. Here. Everyone buckle I've, up. I've get ready. Get comfy. Everyone get comfy now. Get comfy. <laughs> PCI, AI, ML. He's backed up a lot. Well, it's, it's somewhat <laughs> related to PCI, but you said it first. I knew it. Um, <laughs> but no, it goes back to the beginnings of information security. I was having a, a discussion slash argument over the weekend with some folks uh, because a friend of mine uh, uh, was of the belief that MFA and 2FA were two different things. And they went ahead to try to describe it. And I'm like, no, they're the same thing. But then I started thinking about it. Uh, and it's what we're talking about here. Uh, um, the, the paradigm that we were taught 35, 40, 50 years ago was there's three different factors that, you, that are available mm -hmm. for authentication. And that is something you have something you know or something you are and i was thinking about i don't know how many years ago we had a discussion online it might have been sanat i don't know how long he's been coming on where they were introducing like a fourth idea which sounds a little bit like what sanan's talking about all the physical characteristics and telemetry yeah. and things like that which uh, i kept going around in my brain it's like yeah that's still kind of something you have but then I was thinking, but wait a minute, most people these days use password managers. They don't know the secret anymore. They don't know the secret password anymore. They, <coughs> you know, are looking it up and, and it's something you something have. It's have more something to. you have. It's something more something you, know you have. And I'm like, wait a minute, a great point. I should be feeling a lot more companies because they're not doing two-factor or MFA uh, as it's now more commonly referred to because they're really doing two of the, two of the same form. You know, what I'm hearing us talking about is get rid of the passwords, which is a secret that's something you know, and replace it with something you are or something you have. But I think the danger is uh, variations of something you have. That can be too, you know, they can be really extremely different, but by definition, there's still two different things that you have. Some, something we, you have, something yeah. a, a, the attacker has. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's that. But uh, guys, I want to I say something you know is getting replaced with the context you're in. So yeah. we still have that, right? We're replacing it with something. We're not just removing it. So that, that's the contextual information, where you are, how many con concurrent connections you have. Did you, did you just check in with the badge reader at the office, but you're making a remote VPN connection? That doesn't make sense. So that's the context part, right? That's yeah, getting replaced context, with something you know. Context slash conditions. Context, contextual yeah. conditions. Yeah. So instead I, I use them interchangeably, context and conditions. Yeah. Yeah, 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 we're on the same page. That's actually fascinating. Yeah. That's uh, Tyler, what do you think? And maybe it was Sanan. I don't know how many years ago it was, but it, you know, so I, I was struggling to remember what was that fourth thing that they were trying to talk about. I think it was I, context. I'm yeah. willing to I'm willing to entertain context. You could argue that it falls somewhere in the the, the big three bucket of something you have, something you know, something you are. Some, something um, you are. But nobody. Well, I still memorize my password but i'm probably the only one left in the world that does that that uses a good long password um and i'm okay with the passwords going away if you're using what, what got me thinking about this like it was before covid 
uh, I was I was checking in uh, at TSA uh, at the airport and looking at the what's it called clear line. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm like, okay, so they're really just substituting something you have with something you are. Is it really more secure if you're just substituting one of the three factors for another of the factors? Nope. I think the answer is no. That's capitalism. No, that is not. <laughs> it is capitalism. <laughs> but it's not. I think it's not right. The the factors are kind of. I mean, all that's out the window now. Like technology has changed. Well, that's kind of the conclusion right? that I is was that, getting. Would to you agree, Sinan? This is what. Yeah, I agree. It, yeah. It's kind of gone. And then I started thinking about. But what about authorization? How many people even understand what the difference between authentication and authorization is? And so, question to you, Sinan. How do, does any of this apply? To authorization, or is that a whole different? You know, that's. I think that's a softball. Yeah. I think that's a kind of a softball question. It's not it if I understand what they're doing correctly. No, no, right? that's 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 yeah. super tricky. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think a whole lot of people do not understand the distinction. Uh, you're spot on, and I think we're still still trying to solve the authentication problem. I well, mean, I don't want to do ambulance chasing, so I'm not going to name the company. But there was a recent social engineering. Somebody volunteered their credentials, and then on top of it, approved the second factor. For the attacker to breach right, right. so we're, we're still trying to solve the authentication problem it's still the landing you know the beachhead for attackers right authorization you're right once you compromise the account you should have only explicit access to things that that a particular user needs they shouldn't be able to laterally move they should be able to see the entire network they shouldn't be able to sweep scan you're right we, sh- we, we need to bake in authorization but we still don't have the fundamentals right so i think uh, you know to earlier points uh the, you know the the budget owner needs to invest into authentication think of it as enablement let's pitch them that it's an enablement story it's a productivity story it's not about risk mitigation maybe they like that better i hope they like that enablement story better productivity story better once we solve for that i think auth c has to come after you know authent is a re- requirement for to solve auth c well, Sina, I, I have a question well, along those lines. It's hold multi-factor. on, real quick. Okay, Let's Jeff, you go. Well, I just want to clarify because I, 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 I end up doing the thing that I don't like to do. I threw out terms and said nobody knows what they mean, and then we didn't. And we didn't explain. <laughs> so, <laughs> as, as simply as I could put, which camera am I on? Oh, anyway, I can't find it. One of them. Um, that one. one. Of them. That one. That one. <clears throat> that one. The little one down there. Oh, it's down there. Um, authentication <clears throat> is who are you? Are you allowed to be here? Authorization is, okay, you're allowed to be here. What are you allowed to have access to? What can you do? That's the simplest way to put it. So what, right. what you were just saying, Sanan, you shouldn't be able to this, that, and the other. Well, it depends on <laughs> which account you've compromised. Uh, not everybody should have you know, domain admin rights and use that <coughs> as their daily account. Not everybody should have elevated privileges for this, that, and okay. the other. Jeff, can I make one point? No. You'll probably what's make the, two. What's the, what's the third A? A. Uh, authentication, authorization, and? Uh, Canadian. Accountability, auditing, auditability. Uh, auditing, yeah, makes sense. That, yeah. Came, How that, old came is much, that came much later. How old is AAA? I don't know. How, How long, long have been on this exact topic? I want to say the 80s, 90s. It was one of the. Try the 50s. Yeah, okay. Are we talking yeah. about the car AAA or no. something else? Okay. No, 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 no. We're talking about uh, uh, you know authentication and authorization. I mean, how uh, and and eventually the concept of auditing or accountability. How old is uh, uh, are the, is that concept from I the nineteen fifties? 
I think. <laughs> well, I know all Jeff well, would know better. I used to work authentication and authorization, you know, 30, 40 years ago when I was working for the government. And I, I got the idea that it had been around for a while at that point, and at least since the 70s, because in the 70s, um, you know, in 60s, I guess, well, going back to the 50s, uh, Vietnam War. Um, a lot of the Viet Cong were educated in American schools and French schools, and they spoke English with really good English accents, and they had a habit of, like, calling in airstrikes on U.S. troops. And, and uh, so they had to come up with authentication procedures, which is something that I worked in an office that was responsible for, to try to validate, are you really you? Um, and authorization was sort of a spinoff of that. I mean, that came, uh, we didn't do, we did more authentic authentication. Authorization came later with, you know, getting on computers and networks. But the, the idea of authentication, you know, at least in a military DOD sense, it, it goes back, you know, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. But I, I want to put that in the context of today, mm -hmm. Sinan, if we have these mechanisms to store a certificate securely on the machine, to understand the context of the machine, to understand maybe some other behaviors, have some other factor of you know biometrics, we can also use that for authorization and say, well, you get past the first level, you got access, but now you want access to this other thing and that's where we store all of the sensitive user data. You need to give me some more authentication in order to authorize you for that. In all of those chained together, is that is that part of what your solution does as well? Because I know that that stuff exists. I don't yeah. know how well used it is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, most of these solutions in that category basically integrate with the directory, with the user directory, mm -hmm. right? So you need that for authentication. Uh, or if you're an SSO provider, if you're an identity provider, another uh, you know interchangeable term, uh, you sync with the user directory. That means you understand the hierarchy of the organization. You know, the finance department, HR department, engineering department, which users are in it, which are privileged users, which are shouldn't be privileged users. So you kind of try mapping uh, authentication into that. And guess what? Once you have that information, you can make more educated OTC decisions, right? Oh, you're in the DevOps group. Why the hell are you trying to access an HR database that stores compensation information, right? Then you can build authorization once you get the authentication correct and have all the correct hooks. You can build these explicit policies up around who can access what, granted their role in the organization. Yeah. And I like that better than because I've seen some organizations where like you join and then you don't have access to anything and everything you need access to like you have to request and maybe there's some kind of manual or human process that that vets that that's like the extreme side of that on the convenience side like that's very inconvenient but you don't want to go the other way and go extremely convenient where everyone has access to everything because that's that's really bad too this is a really nice medium where you can still control access to services and or data um, but allow the authorization to be somewhat organic based on the person's role and the other factors associated with how they're authenticating to the system. I think that's great. Uh, spot on. That's great. And usually it becomes very relaxed. You know, everything is like before. And then you start auditing, like the, mm -hmm. the third A. Yeah, the I third really A. like that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you start, okay, at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter, okay, these are the, the access requests that make sense. They're coming from HR employees to HR applications. Great. We screw that down and then that's a policy now. All the outliers, right? Those are the interesting ones that you have to double click and find out what the hell is going on here and maybe customize your policy. But once that's baked in, you basically build an OTC system. Uh, one thing I wanna add, it's very interesting point audit. I think it was Jeff, right? Uh, 
that is a brilliant point because actually if we we were talking about tpm backing hard hardware backing for you know important things right if we can have an audit log that's also backed to an immutable hardware right we will put companies like nso the surveillance vendors out of a business right can you imagine that all the links that you clicked on your iphone is stored in a hardware component that's read only guess that what you the, do the blockchain i don't yeah you killed me oh. there. <laughs> you, you see the dirty word i'm out <laughs> you see my graphic it's very easy if you're using yeah. blockchain for oh. cryptocurrency yes is it not cryptocurrency? Then no. Yes, thank you. <laughs> but only if you put AI ML on the blockchain. That's right. Next generation yeah, yeah. AI ML. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been begging Apple to bake it. Well, I'm pointing a device with it, just the background <laughs> screws it, but just build an audit log that stores all these things, read only, cannot be tempered. No matter what access you got on the device, right? It cannot be tempered. It's only you can only write and append, right? Then you do connect it to iTunes. You see what the hell happened, uh, regardless of what compromise you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If we get that, that done, uh, we're we're, we're <laughs> done. You know, we solve that problem. That allows that allows a, a lot of interesting ideas from a, a sim and log visibility standpoint. I mean, as an attacker, one of the few things we do is, you know, we shut down whatever software EDR has a hook into to ring zero with us, or maybe they're only in user land, so it's even easier. That immutable yeah. log that then ring is zero. A, now who's weird. sounding old? No, no wait, 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 but he, he, Tyler is an amazing more. point. Uh, remember UTMP, WTMP under var slash log, right? They're mm -hmm. all soft files on disk. You go mm -hmm. to the last couple entries, delete, you're done. You, you never accessed anything, right? That's the state depending of affairs. On, the syslog demon, that's the stupid state of affairs. If you can bake it into hardware, well, good luck uh, removing your trail. Yeah, uh, that I mean, means that you'd a, have to be in the hardware, which is possible, is a lot more difficult. It just ups that's the where your your line of business comes that's up. Me, yeah, exactly. yeah. my yeah because yeah, yeah, i was yeah, when we yeah. talked about ring so ring zero is still intel not still zero different. minus one minus one minus is one. the <laughs> right uh is minus TPM. one smm or the hypervisor smm smm yeah. right yeah. we can go all the way down to ring that bridge, that bridge. i was talking about calling the operator which is zero yeah, on the top. Oh, oh, oh. I was yeah. going to say because like processor rings are still uh, <laughs> and privilege rings are still a, are still a thing. Right. Now we've we've morphed them, and I was corrected. It's kind of a tangent, but like I was corrected at work to go like <clears throat> when we get into the minus one, two, minus three uh, ring. Like those aren't official Intel architecture <laughs> <laughs> rings. These are ones that we've come up with as as researchers, but uh, to re describe right. the level of access that one could have into uh, the system. So, I wanted to talk about multi-factor authentication, fatigue, MFA fatigue. Um, this seems like a solvable, like when I thought about it, this seems like a solvable problem because shouldn't you be able to rate limit this? So, multi-factor authentication uh, fatigue, right, is the attacker has my username and password and is constantly requesting the multi-factor uh, author authorization. So that goes to my phone or device, let's say, in, in some capacity, and I have to click accept or deny. And they, they just keep doing that until it basically I get so annoyed that I'm like, if I click push accept, this is going to go away. And like I'm in a meeting or I'm busy, I'm doing something, uh, and I want to push accept. And, and you can literally hear it. Yeah, the, the whole time, like buzzing. Right. And right. so I do that. But, but if I were to, on the back end system, rate limit that in some way, or uh, for some other authentication or 
just reject <clears throat> that login if it crosses some rate limiting threshold. Or, I would imagine, or, or that, send no more than three messages in a twenty four hour in a twenty four hour period, right? A form of rate limit, right? That's, yep. Yeah, you know, form of yeah. rate limiting, probably different than what I had in my mind, Larry. But yeah, so so now, like, why can't we? Can we do that? Is that possible? I think I think they do rate limits if it's like really within I don't know a couple seconds. You kind of push, you know, 10, 20, 30, 100, whatever it is. They do have those mechanisms. Pretty much any API has it. Forget about just the MFA one, right? Yeah. Any any API endpoint has rate limiting. But I think the problem is not just carpet bombing. They're also timing very well, right? Oh, you know, 6.30, 7 a.m., 8 a.m., depending on the executive yeah. type, you know, yeah. like, you know, you, you can time it, right? By the way, you cannot say I, I'm only granted three times a day because, like, for example, Salesforce, if you have put a timeout for every two hours, that's my case, for example, mm -hmm. I need to do that thing every two hours and bunch of browser tabs are open, let's say, with, with a SaaS application like Salesforce, they kind of refresh and then generate one. And I'm looking at the phone. It, there's no indication what generated it, right? I know it's a uh, Salesforce app, but I gotcha, yep. is it a browser tab or which tab? You have no idea, right? Mm -hmm. So as long as you time it, you sneak one in throughout the workday or early in the morning, whatever the cadence of that person is, right? You'll, you'll just get it approved. Mm. Oh, on, on top of that, spread it out, spread it out. Mm -hmm. Some some very good social engineering from an attacker side, the social engineering side of Hey, you just signed into my my false authentication page that I fished you with. Now you get an MFA all of a sudden and an email that followed that that said, "Hey, you're going to get an MFA. We don't recognize this device you're signing in on. Please reauthenticate with your MFA." That pops up that actually authenticates for the attacker, not you, because they pass the proxy for the credentials. Like those timing things become an issue. So you really do have to consider your risk threat profile and do you actually need push? This is where TPM, I believe, comes yeah. into play, and even yeah. the YubiKey, where you have to have something you are. I feel like if you have SMS or you have this bombing happening and you've got these push, is that really something you have? At that point, that's something that's being presented to you. That's not really something you have in your in your hand. That is something you're authenticating with, but that's not necessarily a an MFA uh, device. So something you have, like a YubiKey, where you plug it in, you push the button, that's one thing something where you're getting a push notification, I feel like that's abusable. <clears throat> that's something that can be combated, same with SMS, if you use one-time tokens or you use one-time password. That's I was going to say, so your, your like Google Authenticator app is a much better mechanism in this in this regard. But also removing those fallbacks because I will yes. know what your fallbacks are by querying the API or querying whatever I'm, I'm abusing from yep. the MFA standpoint. Know what those fallbacks are, and if there are no fallbacks, then that becomes a much harder target and you have to go about your attack differently. Making mm. this harder for an attacker, that's the whole goal. There's always creative ways to get around this and to social engineer it. It is how much effort I want to put in and how much cost that adds to the attacker for that time to detection, time to remediation, if it gets through. I like having fallbacks, but what I'm hearing is where I'm trying to get to with all my accounts is my fallbacks should, my uh, factors should be a physical YubiKey or an authenticator app. Basically, Correct. and maybe a backup code as a as a total fallback. Okay, I want to I want to understand why you mean by an authenticator app. Are like, you talking uh, about Todd P? Just the numbers? Yeah, like Google Authenticator uh, app gives me so I sync it with my account and then it presents me mm -hmm. with numbers, um, kind of like an RSA token, right? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a software software right, software, right, software right. RSA but, token. Those right, but proxy. that is baked into the man in the middle proxy, right? So they have that screen ready for you. So you, you go to G Suite, let's say they're man in the middle proxying the whole authentication scheme, you put your username and password, then the top P shows up, they're there too. They really like, they, at the end of the day, all they steal is a token, JWT, mm -hmm. right? And then they continue with that session. JWT so top P is not a good idea. 
Because nope. they can still steal that. that they can still steal that session from the authentication yeah. rep. Correct. I yeah, they you. proxy that directly through. The Nginx two is built in with all. Which of these is why two something you have isn't a good idea. Something yeah. you They're have, the same but form. the T the TPM right? Like you have to have that YubiKey that only authorizes your computer because that's a hardware token, right? Whether it's a YubiKey, whether it's a TPM, that is authorizing that particular device, that pass-through. Now, there is some research around the pass-through for some of these hardware tokens that just came out, but there's a lot of mm -hmm. prerequisites that are required in order to do that. So it's not as simple. Again, it is making the attacker's job harder, and you just have to iterate on this. But we have not solved the full authentication unless we get down to the level of where TPM certificates and the hardware are all trusted as part of this chain of trust. Spot on. That's right. So we got we got to solve for the fallbacks first. Hmm. Okay. So what's the what is a valid solution that's going to work with uh, an end user? Let's be clear on this. That's our audience, mm -hmm. and is going to be uh, valid enough that uh, uh, an executive is going to sign off on it and pay for it. Yeah, I would say a lot of the passwordless are exactly that, right? Mm. There is a bootstrap process. You are handed over your brand new shiny laptop. You sign in. There's an onboarding, you know, mechanism that basically authenticates you through the SSO. And at the first time, it's tofu. So there's some potential weakness there, right? But trust on first use, basically, that's the concept. At that trust on first use, you create a hardware key. You store it in a TPM. From now on, that account <clears throat> is tied to that key. If you try to log in from your home computer, from your wife's laptop, not going to work because you have to present the key. But is that is that just for like a Microsoft or Apple or Google? Like what about Twitter, Facebook, my bank? Like all, what yeah. about, all these different accounts. And what about they, Zero Trust they, they where support, you have to raise the level of authentication? Web sure. Authent, if right? they then support you, that, you, you have the answer. You have the yeah. answer right there. If they support SAML, if they support OpenID Connect, you can do exactly that thing, same thing. You'll just be in what we call an SSO proxy. Instead of proxy network traffic, you're proxying authentication. You put the IDP link, the, the URL for the for the SAML endpoint as the solution itself, as a passwordless solution. You hit that first in order to authenticate. And the passwordless solutions checks the device, checks the key, checks the device posture and context, etc., and then might decide still to pass it to Azure AD or Okta to mm -hmm. do username and password authentication. Might choose that option, right? Because it didn't it doesn't see enough or there's an anomaly. But if it doesn't see everything checks out, it basically says, okay, go ahead, access whatever you want. So as long as you have SAML and OpenID Connect baked into applications, a lot of them do, mm -hmm. uh, you're good to go. You can scale it to any solution. Hmm. And how about Trust the? Uh, sorry, go ahead, Tyler. No, I was going to say trust validation of the machine, the authorization for that machine, the timing, and then the user account cert that's allowed with this SAML, FIDO, like however you're going to do it. If you can validate what you're on and who you are is able mm -hmm. to access that particular resource at that given time, given the constraints, and all of those things are immutable, like based on hardware and certificates yep. that has a, a valid certificate chain and, and root of trust. That's a that's a pretty good solution. That's about the only way to do that, unless otherwise there's a, a social engineering path through that, and yeah. being having that machine piece and the validation of that in coordination with the user piece. That's the only way. And we, I mean, Larry's seen this with the wireless. We've abused misconfigurations in wireless <laughs> configs because they don't validate one of those pieces yep. to the right. extent that they. Every, every goddamn wireless test we've been on. I, every. I, yep. Oh, sorry. There is one wireless mm -hmm. test on that I've been on. Bed. 
that wasn't possible. And you've in, been on a lot of wireless and, tests, and, I feel like. <laughs> and as I was joking in Discord, like I've started to refer things to things in decades. And in the last decade and a half, there's only been one test that I've been on that they did wow. it right. And that's because they cut the wireless off. <laughs> no, no, that's because they implemented it right. Yeah. So let me ask one more question, Sanan. Um, so now we've got the question of, you've got a way to give you a base authentication that you can do proper zero trust on to a certain extent. Uh, now I've got, for admin permissions, I need to up uh, uptick my authentication. How do we uptick from there? Yeah, I mean, Additional step up, right? Step up authentication. Like yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's kind of baked in a lot of these uh, zero trust and passwordless solutions, right? Depending on, it's it's rudimentary, it's tags. You tag an application to be more critical, quote unquote, right. a crown jewel, right? And then you can add an additional factor like, okay, even if, you know, I, I, I attest that the device is, you know, the authorized device, the sanctioned device. It has a, it has this device certificate. I just extracted it through the TPM, through the mechanism, uh, the context, telemetry, patch level, everything checks out. But this is such a critical resource that I'm also going to do yet another factor, whatever that is, right? It could be just a push to auth. It could be asking for top B. Uh, or you know the classic username password that 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 that's a step up mechanism. It's a bit manual right now. The other way is that like we talked about contexts and conditions, right? If those change, even if the device checks out, even if the device is attested to be you know a trusted device, you still can step up you know whether two factor or username password. It, my 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 problem with this, and and you're 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 answering well. Don't get me wrong. My problem with this is that you're saying we have the most secure method as our base level, as our foundational element. And anything else that we want to do to do a step up is actually less secure, worse. And so that bugs me. And I'm, I'm not sure if I'm right to be bugged or not. I don't know. Yeah, I like agree. These... I mean, you, you probably want something scalable, right? You shouldn't be thinking about these things. It should just work. Uh, but I think it's an intermediary step that we have to go through. Like, think about, I remember uh, my Gmail app, uh, mid-flight, I was flying to Austria, uh, decided to go through all these authentications because it found that my significant location, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is, right, whatever the AML magic they do in the backend, decided that it was too anomalous and I have to go through all these additional steps. So that's that's the state of art right now. Uh, ideally, we wouldn't have to do any of that, right? We can, if we can bake everything into hardware, if we can have, you know, uh, trusted mechanisms. But right now, context plays an important role to do step up, and that's the only trigger right now. Okay, so use the contextual conditions as part of your step up mechanism. I, I can see yeah. that. That actually, makes and it sense. should be less intrusive as possible, right? Like it should really be something tangible. Like, oh, you, like for example, the one example that I really love is that. You use your badge code reader because the ZTR, Zero Trust solution has integration to your Envoy or whatever the you know the badge code badge code reader. This physical security solution that you're using at the office, I have hooks into the control plane, right? I'm collecting telemetry. I know who just entered through the door. Yet you're also doing a remote access, right? What the hell is going on here, right? That is a great context to do step up for the remote user, <clears throat> or yeah, deny them, right? Yeah, Depends on the policy. In your example, Sanon, does the system know that you're traveling? And know your location, and therefore it doesn't ask you because that I don't know. Now it's kind of now it's kind of creepy about how much it knows about me, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, but you know, actually, a system like this caught up not a security breach, but a cheating uh, incident. Somebody was hiring like a couple contractors in Southeast Asia and just showing at work and goofing off all day, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And then splitting the salary. Uh, so they caught that because you know the, the dude is in the office, yet there's like VPN station coming as with the same accounts. 
mm-hmm. from you know mainland China and South, Southeast India. Right? So they caught the dude because of this disparency, mm-hmm. right? Right. So it is a bit creepy, I understand, but you know it is it is actually a, a very relevant uh, method. That, again, it's not super smart, but I think the state of art is uh, moving forward, coming up with interesting conditions that you cannot even explain, right? That's that's the whole magic of machine learning kicks in at that point that I do see actually a relevant use case for machine learning. What are the patterns that you typically authenticate yourself? And then if there's a major deviation, then whether we deny you or we do several step up authentication. And and I think, you know, training that model well uh, ahead it also makes sense. I know Google was doing something somewhere. You know, we talked about that Google. You talked yeah. about the Google going in the airplane and so forth. And for a while there, I was getting near constant, um, uh, like, hey, the new device is signed into your account and we can't tell where it is and so forth and getting those alerts uh, because I would go to the end of my driveway. My iPhone would disconnect from my Wi-Fi and mm. it would connect to the cellular provider, which was providing me an IPv6 address. And it couldn't do geolocation on the IPv6 addresses. It said, uh, your device is logging in from the United States and we'll put a dot right in the middle of the, you know, like, and now I had to go jump through hoops to log my device back in because it saw me someplace that wasn't home, even though I was literally standing at the end of my driveway because of that switch of networks and IPv6 and all that mess. That That's a very good one. Yeah, agreed. Uh, it, this is why you have to kind of train over time sometimes hopefully you know dial the nods and adjust the models uh yeah you're right uh there, there's all these edge cases that we cannot account for and we'll have to deal with them as one-offs unfortunately you're right i mean uh, every time i switch to ipv6 i think i'm in the state of oregon for some reason uh guip is very you know rudimentary information it's not it's not granular you know it, it's interesting i think we all talked about whether we bought into it or not it's probably a different thing but we would get rid of the password right like that was always mm-hmm. the thing like password is terrible and i don't think it's as binary or zero and one as oh we're just going to get rid of the password i think it's all the things we talked about on this segment right that it's more of a uh more complex uh, complex might be the wrong term but uh, multiple things that we implement to validate who people are what machine they're on that ultimately replaces the password. I don't think it ever truly goes away. What do you think, Sanan? No, I agree. It won't. Uh, it's just that um, there should be a, like social engineering comes into into play, right? Uh, it's easy to extract passwords mm. if you're convincing enough. So it shouldn't be enough. I think passwords will be relevant. They will be with us. Uh, there's a lot of legacy applications out there that you cannot do any of these uh, tricks. Uh, but I think it should not be, you. You have to do credential theft, you steal the password, you will, somebody volunteer their password, that should not be enough. I think that's kind of the the attack surface removal story that, you know, that we're, we're, we're playing for, right? Like, yes, it's going to be there, it's going to be important, but it shouldn't be enough. Can we, can we aspire to get rid of passwords at this point? Like, can we just make it a norm for us to have to pull a key out or leverage our device in order to authenticate to something so that the password no longer exists? I mean... Ideally, yeah. that is that is a naive idealist idea. I know, but the password is a Pick back one. naive and idealist are sort of opposite. <laughs> I, of I agree with you, Tyler. It yeah. will be the case, but they remember the bootstrap, the trust on first use, the trust on first use for the, let's say that the TPM back device certificate needs to be unlocked by something, and unfortunately, that's still using MM password. Mm. So maybe you need the password once, and then hopefully yeah. you get rid of it. You don't ever use it again. What was I saying to you earlier today, Paul? What are the two fundamental problems we have not yet solved? Mm-hmm. 
Passwords, Passwords? and trust. Oh, I, and I was going to say why Pornhub doesn't have sound while you're in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be careful. It connects that Bluetooth speaker. Uh, Larry, patio. my granddaughter's watching. Uh, Larry. Larry. <laughs> Larry. Ah, come on now. <clears throat> now I lost my train of thought, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, uh, we can talk about trust a, a lot, I think. It's interesting. We, we didn't talk about it in the context of this conversation, but... I was having a conversation on Twitter and someone said that like Windows doesn't trust you right as a as a user but Linux trusts that you know what you're doing and I'm like no, no. I'm like Linux doesn't care what you do <laughs> and that's very different from trust, trust. right very different like uh, I think about my teenage son like I don't I don't trust him in certain <laughs> situations I may not care what happens in certain situations because yep. maybe I have compensating controls like yeah i i i don't trust you like i think you're going to throw a party but i have lots of cameras in the house and i know that if you throw a party you're probably gonna get caught yep uh, yeah, play and, stupid games win stupid prizes yeah, yep. exactly i'm like but yeah, that's yeah. not that's not, not caring and trust are different things yeah technically you don't have compensating controls you have countermeasures countermeasures i would agree sense. i would agree when i said that i'm like jeff is yep. going to correct me on this and yes. i did <laughs> <laughs> in a good aren't you glad i'm back i am i am so not anything else, anything else you want to share um, about what you're working no. on at, at Barracuda? So this is a, like a, a product I, offering from Barracuda. We really didn't like frame that. We kind of talked about it in in general. But this is, uh, right. and I, I know there's lots of solutions on the market that that tackle this particular problem. Um, but yours is one that tackles this in a in a, a specific way to allow you basically be more smart about how users and machines prove who they are and should they be trusted or not, essentially. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, I want to touch on the enablement part. We're not really becoming, you know, super creative and visionary and throwing scientific terms. And no, it's basically managing the life cycle of a device certificate. That's mm -hmm. the value proposition that I'm offering, right? Yeah. Because it's been traditionally tough. You used to do it manually. You know, how do you revoke it if you put it there manually? So it's essentially giving you a mechanism to basically implement device identity as yet another factor and be able to manage the entire life cycle as you onboard new users, as you onboard new devices, you toss devices away, you know, you toss a device, somebody finds it, they were able to break through, whatever, break in, uh, they shouldn't be able to use it, right? You, that, that certificate should already be revoked. Uh, so that kind of stuff, right? That That's the that's the solution at, 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 the, at the end of the day, it's enablement more than, security is the outcome, but it's an enablement product. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, folks can learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. Sanan, as always, it's wonderful having you here on the show today. How do we know that Thanks was really Sanan Pleasure. talking just now? Well, you know, he has to authenticate. <laughs> <laughs> we have to trust. We have to trust. That's and a very whole other problem. Yeah. Trust but verify. Coming up next, the security news for this week. Stay tuned.